How many of you have deducted that we are going to have communion today? Somebody might say, we are, you know. Well, there's this table up here, and we have it all set up, and so. I didn't grow up in the environment that we are in today. It was done a little bit differently. My ideas and thoughts of things were different. And then, it, and then as I became kind of a part of a group that, you know, delved into God's Word a little bit deeper and, and uh, had, a, you know, looked at what the Word said, my viewpoints obviously changed. And, and many of you, you're, you're from different backgrounds. You, you, some of you may be from different denominations. If somebody said, well, what are you? Well, we're, we would be considered or classified as the non-denominational charismatic Pentecostal church. That's what I would classify it if I were going to classify it. But guess what? I believe in Jesus. How about you? There's only one church, all right, the body of Christ. But anyway, we can all have different backgrounds and, and different assumptions. We have traditions. Everybody say traditions. You know, that's a good word and a bad word. <laughs> I mean, there are good traditions we can have in our families and so on and so forth and that are good things. But when tradition sneaks into our beliefs, when traditions become part of our lifestyle with the Lord, and it sometimes determines what we will do, what we believe, our traditions can be wrong. In fact, Jesus made such a big deal about traditions that he, he told us that traditions themselves can actually nullify the power of God from working in our individual lives. And uh, why is that? Because we could be believing wrong. Just because Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally said thus and so doesn't mean it's right, does it? Or just, just because a preacher says thus and so doesn't mean it's right, it's gospel. Um, we need to go to the Word of God. What does the Word say? What does God say? And how many know we can count on His Word? His Word doesn't change, right? No matter what culture system is, is active at the moment, uh, no matter where we are in the world, no matter what environment, the fact is God's Word remains the same. He is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And so he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words won't pass away. And so his words are eternal. We can base everything in our life on the Word of God. Did you know that the same gospel that we preach here will work anywhere in the world? You know, there are many missionaries that will go on the other side of the world somewhere, and what they try to do is they don't realize it is they're trying to Americanize them. You know, they're trying to... Uh, I, I remember reading an article recently, in fact, that... Um, I was talking about uh, some missionaries going into a particular area, I want to say of Africa, I could be wrong, it doesn't really matter, but some remote area, and the women did not wear any tops, any, any covering at all on, their, on, on the, the top end. And of course, in our culture, in most of our culture anyway, that is not necessarily the right thing, right? And so what they were trying to do uh, these these preachers that were there trying to solve the situation, it was probably more of a distraction for them than it was for anybody in the group because it's normal to them. And so they made an issue and said, when you come to church, you must wear a top. Okay? And so they felt that was reasonable. They're not getting into their private life, but when they come to church, they must wear a top. Well, then the men of the villages started coming around and got very upset with the church. And they sat down and had discussion. He says, why are you dressing our women like prostitutes? 
See, in their culture, if you did wear something on the top, you were a prostitute. You see what I'm saying? Cultures are different, aren't they? I mean, you can't just... But the Word of God doesn't change. The Word of God doesn't say anything about wearing a top. Does it? Adam and Eve weren't. I mean, am I right? Okay, now I'm not saying let's go nudist or anything weird like that. I'm not implying that. I'm just saying take the Word of God and preach it, not your opinion, not our tradition, not being an American. You follow what I'm saying? We take God's Word at what it says. And so I said all that for this, that as we look into the Word of God regarding partaking of the Lord's Supper, I'm asking you today to wipe the slate clean in your thinking. See, we all have different backgrounds, different things we've been taught and assumptions and beliefs and so on. And what I'm asking you to do is kind of just wipe it out for a moment and let's look at the Word of God at what it says through the lens of the Word of God, not our opinion, not a tradition. Can we all do that? And so, you know, what I'm trying to say is don't worry about agreeing, disagreeing. Just look at what the Word says, okay? And guess where faith comes from? Faith comes from the Word, right? Not my personal beliefs, <laughs> not my assumptions, not my traditions. Faith comes from the Word of God, all right? So let's look at the Word of God well, we have, I think, all the scriptures available on the screen, and there's, there's several things I want to look at, so it might be easier to follow along there. And, uh, but if you've got notes, it's a good idea to take some notes. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, I want to read this in a different translation. I had to actually have Will type this one up because we didn't have it in our system. But this is the Weymouth translation. And I want you to see this from the point of view of time, like as if you were there when Jesus said this. Okay, I want you to kind of picture this because that's how this will be portrayed. So again, we're going to read the Weymouth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For it was from the Lord that I received the facts which, in turn, I handed on to you. How that the Lord Jesus, on the same night he was to be betrayed, took some bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is about to be broken for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, when the meal was over, he also took the cup, this cup, he said, is the new covenant of which my blood is the pledge. Do this every time that you drink it in memory of me. For every time that you eat this bread and drink from the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. You notice there was a little bit of twist on time a little bit. The Lord said, my body will be broken for you. In other words, it actually hadn't fully taken place yet, but it was about to be. 
And uh, I think it's very, very important we look at one question that all of us should fully understand. And that is this, because I think a lot of people, they can, they can go to church and they hear things and they hear sermons on these things, but it just kind of, they kind of float through it a little bit. And they think, well, yeah, they understand the principle behind communion, but they don't dig a little deeper. And there's always room to dig a little deeper. How many know we don't know everything, right? There's always room to learn a little more. And I felt the Lord impress upon me to press a little harder on those verses we just read so that we can find out this question. This is the question I want to answer. Why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Why do we do it? And so the first thing, there's two things, major things, that Jesus said. Number one, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, we're remembering what Jesus did for us. His body broken for us for our healing and the shedding of his blood for our forgiveness. The second thing is that we're remembering and proclaiming his death until he returns. All right? Those two things are made very clear from those couple of verses that we read. But let's delve a little bit further. Let's look at remembering his broken body. Let's, let's go a little bit closer. We all know this, or most of you know this, that Jesus gave his body for us. In other words, his body was physically broken for you and me, for everyone, for our healing. All right? Let's look at the amplified version of Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Now, I want you to notice something I'm going to point out in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. You'll notice the word griefs. See where it says, surely he has borne our griefs. And then if you look down a little bit further, it says, and carried our sorrows. Those two words uh, show up in the King James. But if you look um, in the Hebrew, what they actually mean is what you see in uh, parentheses there where it says sicknesses. So in other words, surely he has borne our sicknesses. And then what are sicknesses? Weaknesses, distresses in our physical body. And carried our sorrows. That word sorrows is pains. Literal pain. Everybody say pain. Anybody ever have a pain somewhere? All right. All right. Not someone else. All right. But a pain in your own body. So are we being literal here? Did Jesus literally pay? Did he literally give his body for our healing? Did he literally take those stripes? Did he literally lay his life down so that we can be free from sickness, free from pain? Absolutely. So let's read this whole thing that way. Surely he has borne our sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses and carried our pains. Now go over a little bit. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if it with leprosy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Notice it wasn't his transgressions. It was our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. With those stripes, we are healed and made whole. That is a fact. That's one of the reasons why Jesus gave his body. He gave his body so that you and I could have health and wholeness in our physical body. We call that Christ's great substitutionary work. 
In other words, Jesus came not to pay anything for himself, but to pay for our sin, our sickness, our disease. How did he do that? He did that by becoming sin for us. He took our sin. And then he took our sicknesses. He took our pains upon himself. What was the end result? That if we receive him, that we get to have the right relationship with God that he had. That righteousness. And that we get to have the life and health of God. How many know that the Lord is not sick? Right? You know, there's no record anywhere in the Bible. I dare you to look through the New Testament and look carefully. You will never find one record of the Lord being sick. You only see him setting people free. You only see him healing. But you never, ever see him sick. In this case, he is bearing our sicknesses and diseases. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? Praise God for the Lord and his mercy. Now, I want to look at 1 Peter 2.24. We'll swing to the New Testament. This is the Weymouth translation. I really like this. The burden of our sins he himself carried in his own body to the cross and bore it there. So that we, having died so far as our sins are concerned, may live righteous lives. By his wounds yours have been healed. Notice that. Now, why is the New Testament referred to at past tense? Because it's already taken place, right? And Isaiah were prophesying about the future, but in 1 Peter 2.24, it's already taken place. You've already been healed. Say it with me. I've already been healed. Now say it like you mean it this time. Say, I've already been healed. How have you already been healed? By the stripes Jesus took for me. I'm not trying to get healed. Healing has already been bought and paid for. Jesus' body was broken for our healing. Remember, he didn't need healing. We needed healing. We're to remember. Everybody say, remember. See, that's the emphasis on the Lord's Supper. Remembering proclaiming, actively doing something in remembrance. We're to remember His body was broken for our physical healing. As we partake of the bread today, which represents Christ's broken body for us, I want you to remember that the same healing power that Jesus displayed when He was on the earth is still available today. Remember, He is what? The same yesterday today and forever. He is a healing God. He is a healing Jesus. And that same power is available today. You need to think about what's going on in your body today, right now. Stop and think, what's going on in my body? Maybe there's some abnormal or abnormality somewhere. It could be a pain somewhere. It could just be a simple thing that nags you all the time that you don't have to live with. If you will expect this morning, do you know when Jesus was here on the earth, I really truly believe that if anyone approached Jesus and wanted healing and believed that he could give it to them and would take it, they got healed. Every single last one of them. If someone didn't get healed around Jesus, it's because they just didn't believe. They just didn't want it or they didn't receive it. But everyone who got near him, listen, that bread represents his broken body. It's near you. You're going to consume it. What does that mean? That is a representation of what he did. Let that healing power flow through you. 
desire, seek it, think about it now. What do I want? And make a demand on what Jesus is telling us to do. This is not a ritual. This is not just something that we do just to, well, that's wonderful. We remembered what Jesus did, and we're so thankful. No, it is to actively right now receive what we need from the Lord. That's why his body was broken. Amen? Boy, I tell you, that's good, isn't it? How many believe that's good news? I was pretty pathetic. How many believe that's good news? Amen. That's good news. Say this with me. By the stripes, Jesus took for me. I am healed and made whole. So what we're told from Jesus is we're to remember the healing he personally paid for. And again, as I mentioned, he's a healing God. He, he has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same healing power of God. Listen to me. God has not run out of power. The same power that was available then is available to you and I, and it's available this morning. Amen? Now, secondly, what he told us to do is remember his blood shed. Remember his blood shed. Jesus also gave his sinless blood for you and me. His blood was poured out for our forgiveness. The Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became our sin so that we could become right with God, so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ. Look with me at Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, talking about in Christ, in Jesus, we have redemption through his what? Through his what? His blood. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through his blood. Everybody say blood. You know, blood, you know, in our normal culture, it's kind of icky and no one wants to really deal with it. But, you know, the Bible says that life is in the blood, that the blood of Jesus, I'm telling you guys, is eternally washing us, keeping us. Amen? I'm telling you. And it's done once and for all. Once and for all. Never have to do it again. How, how will we know? What if, what if we screw up? We don't have to worry about that because Jesus is in charge. And Jesus ain't pulling an atom. Amen? Will Jesus ever fail us? He will never fail us. Amen? That's why it's all ratified in Him. So we can't fail. Amen? A man can fail, but Jesus cannot fail. Amen? Praise God. Now listen, because of the blood of Jesus, we can stand in the very presence of Almighty God without fear. The blood has washed us completely clean. And when we make a mistake and sin, and you will... On occasion, you will, according to 1 John 1, 9, when we confess that sin, that blood goes to work to wash and cleanse us as if we'd never sinned. Isn't that wonderful? How many make a mistake? Mistakes. I mean, two hands, my foot, if I could jump. I mean, we all make mistakes. We blow it, all right? We, we, we said something we shouldn't have or, or went a little too far in our thought life and it came out our mouth or, or whatever it is that you did. The fact is we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. And praise God, as we grow and get more mature, it, it happened less and less as we have more control over our thoughts and our flesh. But the fact is when we do and we will, thank God for the blood. Thank God that you ever felt guilty when you sinned? Well, apparently I'm the only one. 
Anybody ever felt guilty when they sin? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that, that thing that beats you down, that makes you want to hide a little bit, that makes you just want to, you know, go crawl away somewhere and not face anyone. That's what sin does to you. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. I love to look at it this way. God loves to wipe it away as if it never existed. Let's say on Friday you blew it. And you went to the Lord and you confessed your sin. And on Monday, you remembered what you did. And it, you started making you feel bad. And so, oh Lord, I'm so sorry for blank, blank, blank. You know what the Lord's going to say to you? He's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about, son, daughter. Because he forgave you and forgot about it. Isn't it wonderful that he doesn't remind us of the dumb things we've done? Amen. He doesn't beat us over the head. He doesn't say, you made your bed, you lie in it. Praise God for His grace and mercy. Thank God for the blood. When we take that cup and drink, we need to remember that His precious blood was spilled on our behalf. We remember for eternity that blood is sufficient, that He died once for all. It's done. We remember that as we partake. Listen to me, that blood, listen carefully, that blood is stronger than sin than sickness, than any power of the enemy. Anything the devil might try to, to, to control you in some fashion or form, even some addiction, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than that. How many would agree? Amen. That blood is more powerful. Thirdly, the last thing the Lord said that we would do is proclaim His death until He returns. Let's look at that. We proclaim His death. We also remember that when we partake of the bread and the cup, we are proclaiming His death until He comes. We need to remember that Jesus was victorious over death, hell, and the grave, wasn't He? That He was resurrected. Amen? And that resurrection power is available to all of us. It is through the death of Jesus that you and I are alive to God. If Jesus didn't die and go to hell, guess where we're headed? That's where we're headed. Praise God for He did. We need to understand that death is part of life. That Jesus was born to die and give His life for us. And boy, I tell you what, there's so much wrapped up in death that He defeated for us. Look with me in in the uh, Romans chapter six. Let's look at Romans chapter six. We're going to read verses three through five. Now this is talking to the born-again Christian, the person who has received the Lord. Or do you not know that as many of us, as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen? Because of His death, we have newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. How many of you know Jesus, where is He seated right now? At the Father's right hand in the place of power and authority and dominion. Amen? He defeated the enemy on every level. He defeated death. He defeated everything that had to do with death. And that's where we are. We are in Him. The Bible says we are seated with Him in Christ. Amen? I'm telling you guys, that's the position you're in. If you only understood that fully inside your... I don't mean in your head. I mean in your spirit. 
You'd never let the devil tromp on anything in your life. How dare he? He's been defeated. Amen? Boy, some of you don't look like he has been in your life. Say, the devil. Now say it like me. The devil has been defeated in my life. He's powerless, toothless, clawless. Boy, that's a fierce cat, isn't he? <laughs> you going to do gum me to death? <laughs> I mean, come on, you know? I mean, he's got nothing left. He's got nothing to do with it. I'm not telling you, he's just a big fat liar. Amen? That's all he is, is the liar. He tells you, well, you got cancer. You can guarantee you don't have cancer if the devil's telling you you got cancer. Why? He's a liar. Amen? He tells you everything in your life is going down the tubes. You're probably just in a position for a great blessing. And he's trying to get you to talk differently. Amen? Because he's a liar. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the power of the resurrection. There's no limit to that power in our life. No limit whatsoever. Nothing can hold us in bondage. Not the devil, not alcohol, not drugs, not some sort of sexual perversion. Nothing can hold us because Jesus has already defeated him. All we have to do is accept that. And part of that exception is what we're going to do today. We receive, we're reminded, we're proclaiming his victory over that in our life. I'm telling you guys, oh, I'm telling you, you need to get yourself stirred up. That today's the day some things are changing in my life. Say it with me. Today's the day things are changing in my life. Amen. Praise God. Listen to me. Jesus was victorious for you and me. He didn't need victory for himself. He was already Lord. He did all of it for you and I. Hebrews 2.14. A beautiful scripture. Hebrews 2.14. We're going to read the New Living. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. How did Jesus break the power of the devil? He did it through death. That's why the Lord said, do this in remembrance, proclaiming his victory over death. Amen. We need to be reminded of what we already know. Most of everything I've already shared with most of you, you know. But you need to be stirred up. You need to be reminded. Again, how does faith come? By hearing and hearing the word. As we look at these scriptures, as we see these things, our faith is stirred up. So as we said earlier, Jesus was born to die. It was through his death that he defeated the devil. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering and proclaiming Jesus' victory over death, his victory over Satan. We're reminding the devil. As we hold that up and as we partake it, we're reminding every devil that can see, I'm telling you, it's too late, devil. We're reminding, we can remind them of, of, would you like to go back to the back of Revelation and find out how this thing ends? Amen? How many know it doesn't end well? For the devil. <laughs> it doesn't end well at all. He, in fact, he'll stop hanging around you if you just read a little bit more of that to him. He don't like to hear it because it's the truth and he knows it. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Death is no more a threat. You and I are free from the power of sin and death because of Jesus' victory over death. Every time we come together to partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of Satan's defeat and Jesus' victory. His victory is our victory. Say it with me. His victory. 
is our victory. Now say it again. I want you to get that. His victory is my victory. All right? His victory. Now how do I know that? Well, 1 John 4, 4. A lot of you know this scripture. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children. Aren't you glad you're a child of God? You are of God, little children, and have, have, have. What is have? Have. It's already done, right? Have. So have, or you could say already. Have overcome, or already overcome them. Who are we talking about? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, we've already overcome the devil. How? In Christ. You've already done it. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, there was times in my life that, believe it or not, I didn't always live for the Lord, like many of you. And anyway, there was a, a time when I was, I was pretty rebellious. I, I kind of knew some of the truth. I was living around here in and, and Broken Arrow and going to church some, but I, you know, I just was on the fence in a lot of things. In other words, I knew what was right, but I was doing what was wrong. You know, the flesh was weak. <laughs> you know, and uh, I remember one day my, uh, my mom was starting to get a hold of some of these things. And what I mean is she was starting to get a hold of the name of Jesus Uh, her authority in Christ and so on, hearing some good messages on these things. And I remember walking in real late one night, and I could hear my mom. Her bedroom was on the other side of the apartment, and she's screaming at the devil, telling him to get out of her life in the name of Jesus, and she was doing what she knew to take authority. And I'm laying in my room, and I'm not behaving properly. I'm not doing things right. I'm not walking in love. I know I'm not. And I knew, and this thought occurs to me, whatever thing that she's kicking out is going to come in my room. I am not lying to you. I am not lying to you. And I had a bunk bed. We had a real small room I had to share it with my brother, and I had the top bunk. And I'm, I'm laying on that bunk, and, and I'm thinking, it's coming closer. It's coming closer. And all of a sudden, this eerie cold feeling sweeps up my legs like a blanket and starts covering me and it's over me and I am scared out of my mind I don't want to open my eyes for what I might see and I mean guys this is not me just playing head games this is real and I mean every hair on my head is standing straight up and I mean I am sitting there but all of a sudden way down deep in my heart see I'd been going to church And I heard some messages. And I heard about the name of Jesus. And I heard about the authority. And somewhere deep down in my spirit, because it it had to have been deep down, because I wasn't listening any other way, somehow it comes up in me that I don't have to put up with this. That this is wrong. I have authority over the enemy. So I just sat there, and I'm telling you, I didn't repent. I didn't, you know, oh God, forgive me. I didn't do any of that. All of a sudden, somewhere inside me, a couple of scriptures just came out. And some of them were along the lines of the name of Jesus is the name above every name. And, um, and, and the authority and dominion over the, uh, over the devil. And I began to do what I could to piece these things together. And the more I would talk it, the stronger it got. And the stronger it got. And the stronger it got. Now, I could still feel the thing on the outside of me and present in the room. And all of a sudden I said, I don't have to tolerate this. I said, in the name of Jesus, you leave this room and don't come back right now. And it went out the same way it came in. 
all of a sudden warmth started where it was going away. And that cool chill, that, that my hair and everything else, it just started going away and just left the room. And I'm just sitting there thinking, wow, that was cool. You know? And I, and I started realizing, this thing is real. Now, I've had a few experiences like that. This thing is real. It's not, it's not imaginary, guys. We really have a real enemy. And he's, see, you're not my enemy. See, that's what the devil wants to do is get us to work against each other, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He wants the Baptist to be the enemy to this one and this one to this one. And he's sitting on the sidelines laughing his head off because we're doing all the work for him. My wife and I, believe it or not, the other day we were riding along and we started arguing about something. And I, it was probably the dumbest thing in the world. And we're going back and forth. You know who can get the last word? And anybody ever play that game around here? And we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, I said, enough! I said, the devil's over here laughing his head off at us, Lisa, because you and I are doing all the work. I'm not the enemy, and you're not the enemy. He's the enemy. And we both kind of, kind of chuckled a little bit and realizing what was going on. But do you see how he works? He tries to get us to work against each other. We become our own worst enemy. He's powerless against us, so what has he got to do? Trick us into using our own authority against ourselves. Using our words against us. Using our thoughts against us. Using our actions against us. How about I say we give him no room? How about we make a statement today? Devil, your days are numbered. I'm done. I'm done playing games. Amen? I'm done playing games. Praise God. So listen, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're actively displaying our faith in Jesus. That's what we're doing. It's not just, it's not a ritual. Don't look at it that way. Get tradition out of it. This is a real intimate thing between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, just like it was with those disciples on that night. Can you imagine being there and what was going on and them not knowing he was about to pay a major price? They just thought it was a nice dinner. (laughs) And Jesus is saying strange things like, take eat (laughs) this is my body broken for you in just a little while they didn't get it they didn't know what was going on exactly but it was an intimate thing remember that's where we read remember where john was leaning on jesus's shoulder leaning into him they loved him he was their savior he was their friend jesus said to you and i i no longer listen to me he called us friends he and what do you do with a friend you share things with a friend don't you you commune. That's what communion is all about. Communion. What does the word mean? Commune. It means that, that communion implies intimacy, a partaking, a connection. And see, sometimes we roll right over that. We hear communion or the Lord's Supper, and we just think of you know bread and wine or grape juice. or I don't care if we had Oreos and a bottle of Coke. It doesn't matter about that. Listen, guys, this is just a representation of it. But I'm telling you what, I believe in Jesus. I believe what he did for me. So real quickly, here's what I want to do. I want to prepare you, okay? We talked about the good things, the benefits, the good things that we should grab a hold of. But let's look at the preparation side of things because this is where a lot of people get confused. They're like, wow, that all sounds real good. And then let's get to the scary part. The examine yourself part. The part about what if I'm not worthy part. All right, so look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 through 29. Let's look at that on the screen. Therefore, 
Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. There are many, many people that have misconceptions about what we just read. In fact, some of them are so scary, the minute they come to church, if they see the communion table, they go out the other door. Why? Because they're afraid. Of, they don't want to be judged. They don't, they don't want what they're reading. It sounds pretty tough, and they don't want a part of that. And I've seen it before. I've seen people actually get up and leave the minute they hear that. That's not what it's about. Listen to me carefully. Some people read this and begin to get under all kinds of condemnation. This is why. They look at themselves and they say, I'm so unworthy. Anybody make a mistake today? Yesterday? Day before? Maybe? You know, you may have had a big fight this morning. You know, who knows? Listen to me carefully. They'll say something like, I missed it this past week. I don't deserve to take communion. I want you to listen closely to this statement. Everybody say, I'm listening. Having sinned does not disqualify a person from taking communion. If it did, none of us would qualify. I want you to think about that for a moment. This communion table is not for perfect people. There isn't anybody perfect other than the Lord Jesus. It is not for perfect people. First of all, you need to understand that it's the blood of Jesus that washed away your sin. Say it with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. If you are born again, in other words, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then that is your status as far as He's concerned. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. But occasionally you make a mistake. Occasionally you sin, but that doesn't make you a sinner. Do you understand the difference? There's a big difference there. A sinner sins. That's normal. It's natural for them. But someone who's born again, they sin accidentally. Or they might even do it on purpose, but it's not necessarily their lifestyle. Okay, They just make mistakes. There's a big difference there. And that's what the blood of Jesus is for. The reason you're taking communion is to remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you through His blood and body. Jesus made you worthy to take part. Amen? Through His sacrifice, He made you worthy to take part in this. Notice carefully the Scripture. Could you bring that back up? Uh, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. Notice how it says, unworthy manner. Unworthy manner. Everybody say that with me. Unworthy manner. It didn't say... An unworthy person. (laughs) It said unworthy manner. The scripture is referring to an action in the process of communion. So in other words, as I said earlier, if you receive Jesus as uh, Lord in your heart, then you are worthy to partake today because the blood of Jesus made you worthy. Is everybody here born again? I want you to raise your hand if you have received the Lord Jesus. I'm totally serious about this. I believe everybody is in the room. All right. You're worthy doesn't matter about a mistake or two. That's why we're doing this. Amen? To remind ourselves of 1 John 1, 9. To remind ourselves of the blood. To remind ourselves it's because of His sacrifice. Not because of mine. Amen? Everything He did for us. 
So what does it mean to partake unworthily? Just to help you out, what does that mean? Partaking unworthily is not discerning the Lord's body. That's what it said. If you were going to say, that is the key that unlocks that door, is not discerning the Lord's body. What does that mean? Understanding the significance of the Lord's body. This leads to eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. For example, looking at communion as just a ritual, just a process, okay? I did for years, I just had a lack of understanding, and I didn't like that little wafer thing, and I I just didn't, I guess it bothered when I was a kid, no one ever explained it to me, and it just became a process. I just went through the motions. I didn't think anything of it, and I think a lot of people do. And sometimes through this, they just go through the motions. It's more than that. It's a life-giving blessing. But some have the attitude, it's just bread. It's just juice. They don't understand the significance of what it represents. Listen to me. This is Vine's Expository Dictionary's definition of unworthily. Okay, Treating it as a common meal. Treating it as a common meal. The bread and the cup as common things. In other words, they're just ordinary like everything else. Not hardly, but there are people that look at it that way. When you and I come to this table, release your faith in the Lord's body, what He did. And you'll receive the benefits of healing, health, and wholeness. How many believe that? If we act on it, if we do our part... And what Jesus said, we can receive these good things. So to clarify, what does it mean to partake unworthily? It means to treat the Lord's Supper as insignificant, as ordinary, as common, as nothing special, nothing out of the ordinary. That's what he's talking about. That's not discerning the Lord's body. Now, I also want to point out, when it talks about the Lord's body, I believe it's twofold. I do believe that it's that bread, for example, represents his broken body for us. But I do believe when we talk about not discerning the Lord's body, we also need to consider what is the Lord's body in the New Testament. Say, I am. We could point, point a finger right at yourself. Say, I am. Now look at someone else and point at them and say, you are. All right. See, we are the, we are the what? We are the body of Christ. Now, Jesus taught us what? Jesus taught us that how we treat others is how we're treating who? Jesus, right? He said, if you've done to one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. Y'all with me on that? He takes very personally, I want you to get this, Jesus takes very personally how the body of Christ treats one another. He takes it personally, all right? And so, to give an example, remember when Saul had his great experience with the Lord? Remember he got knocked off the horse and he couldn't see and all that? Just to, to paraphrase real quickly, what did Jesus say? Jesus acted as if, uh, Saul, why are you treating me this way? And he's like, who are you, Lord? He didn't, he didn't even connect the two. In other words, I've never treated you anyway. I've treated them, those Christians that are wrong. And he's, what, you get what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, the way you treated my body is me. How many know you can't separate the head from the body if it's alive, right? And so the body of Christ is important. Are we to treat one another properly? What did Jesus say? 
that how will the world know that we're his disciples? By our love for one another. You cannot, listen, to correctly discern the Lord's body, you cannot treat one another as common, as ordinary. You need to see Jesus in everybody. You need to respect. You need to honor. You need to see everyone in the body of Christ as valuable, important. And even a step beyond that, everyone that Jesus died for is valuable, important. Amen? We don't have the right to say, well, just because they're not an American or they did some things wrong, we get to disregard them. Did Jesus disregard them? Jesus, guys, is not an American. You mean to tell me he doesn't wear red, white, and blue? No, he doesn't. I'm serious. I know I blew a lot of theology right there. But I'm telling you, he doesn't. He's not an American. Amen? He is Lord of all. And we need to correctly discern the Lord's body by treating one another. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, and if you will read in context the whole area in 1 Corinthians 11, okay, I don't have time today, you will find that they weren't treating each other very good, and this is why Paul wrote what he wrote by the Spirit of God for you and my for the Lord's Supper. So in other words, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just focus on just this but treat each other horribly. Can't do that. we got to walk in love. So when we talk about examining our heart, what are we talking about? Not in regards to looking for sin, because that's what a lot of people do when we take communion. They're looking for, man, where did I blow it? Man, i got to repent. That's not what you need to be focused on. You need to be focusing on your heart. Are you loving your brother and sister in Christ? Are you blessing them? Are you helping them? Have you been hateful and bitter? And now it gets real silent here. You know why? Because some of you are mulling it over. <laughs> in other words, you're thinking, well, maybe I haven't you know, done this. That's where we examine our heart. That's how we make sure that we're not partaking unworthily. Amen? Say, I'm worthy because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? So do you get what we're saying? All these good things are for you and I. Praise God. Listen, as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, we are outwardly confessing and claiming the full benefits of God's redemption plan through Jesus for our forgiveness, wholeness, strength, health, and full sufficiency in everything in life. We are proclaiming and confessing Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the devil. We are reminding ourselves and the enemy that, praise God, Jesus disarmed every evil, foul thing. Amen. At the cross.